Today, I am joined on the podcast by two previous guests, one, Alexi Monavel, who is in Boston, Massachusetts, and Michael Doyle, who is in Brisbane, Australia. Welcome aboard, guys. Hey, John. Hey, John. Hey, Michael. Hey, Alexi. So the three of us are, I don't know if we're an unlikely gathering, but kind of this, this is actually a remote team. So I'm, a, I'm in Portland, Oregon, so we're covering... Uh, so there's three hours between me and Alexi and between me and Michael is, I want to say 14. All I know is it's always tomorrow where Michael is. So that's something that I always keep in mind. And I also wanted to kind of give a little, the fact that the three of us are talking is also a result of, I guess, each of us in different ways, putting ourselves out there. So sometimes people think, oh, well, the three of you at one time or another happen to be at Red Hat, so you just all know each other. Not true. Uh, Michael and I kind of knew each other, but it wasn't until I put out an offer on one of my podcasts to I'll have a conversation with anyone that he reached out to me over email and said, hey, let's have a conversation. And we did. So one thing led to another. We've become in regular contact. We're here. Sometime back in August or July, Alexi posted on LinkedIn that he had something coming. And I said, well, What's coming? And he says, oh, I have this book. And I said, well, could I read your book? Would you like to talk about it on a podcast? He said, yes. We did that podcast. I'll link to it. And then it wasn't, but I don't know, maybe a few months after that, that I said, Alexi, hey, are you updating your book? And would you want help with that? I, thinking like, he doesn't really know me. Like, would he really take me up on that? I don't know. And anyway, one thing led to another. And Alexi and Michael or Michael and I ended up helping Alexi with the most recent revision of his book. So we're almost getting to my point here, which is in one of those chapters, there was a section on building trust with teams and the discussion was around remote teams. And there was kind of, a, as I recall the discussion, sometimes we had very direct discussions with each other too. There was a, there was a section there where Alexi said, well, if you have a remote team, it's really important that you meet in person and I raised the point, wait a minute, what if that team just can't meet in person? Because I know I've been in those situations where remote teams can't meet in person. And so we're going to discuss that today. I also got some uh, listener feedback or input that also requested kind of a deeper discussion on this topic. And they raised, it was almost like they were reading my mind. They said something like, they actually referred to Alexi's uh, the discussion we'd had in the previous podcast about remote teams. So long-winded way of saying today we're talking about remote teams. I have a pretty strong feeling that, well, based on my previous experience, although I'm trying to remain open-minded to this, that it's extremely difficult slash maybe almost impossible to build a remote team when you can't meet in person. So that's where I want to start. Help correct me, steer me in a new direction, open my mind. I love that starting point, John, because you are—you just explained to us, we are a remote team. We never met in person. We are spread all over the world with huge time zones. And we worked on that revision of the book that I consider a huge success as a remote team. So it seems we can <laughs> do something about it without even meeting in person, uh, which contradicts my point of, yeah, please travel and meet in person to form the team, it's the best way. And I will stay on that. If you can travel, please do it. 
travel, find a pretext and travel. But yeah, okay, I, I agree. That's a good question. What if you can't travel? And that's what we can work on. And I think you've said something really important. As a team member, you can do something about it. And when you've said, we made the connection, you've said, Michael reached out to me or you reached out to me, uh, we need to do something about it. As an individual, we can do something about it and we need to. And I think that's, that's the starting point of the story. It's interesting you talk about the three of us, uh, how we got together. It feels like it was very, uh, a very conscious choice. And I'm wondering if that's playing a factor into how our remote team is working. Uh, Alexi, what would you say for remote teams where perhaps the choice isn't conscious? If Or the opposite. <laughs> One people, <laughs> or maybe there's a team that that doesn't totally trust the other team, or maybe they don't like them. Or, I mean, I I'd, I'd have to say I have seen that in my career. Yeah, and, and it, it's really a good point. Uh, we we choose to work with each other in a way. So okay, that's a team. We we really wanted to do that, and we choose to to do some work with each other, and nearly. The work was nearly a pretext for us to do something with each other. And usually what happens is, yes, you, are, you find a job, you are hired by a company to do something you want to do, but you don't really know the, the other people that you will work with. And just kind of something you know about them. They are in the same team, so probably they have skills that are useful for the purpose of that team. And if you join that team, the purpose matters to you. That company matters to you, at least a little. And I hope I hope a lot because your life will be better. But that's that's one thing. So you can assume that those other people have something in common with you, have skills that could be useful, and that could be interesting to discover them, to learn about them, and learning about them, you will probably learn also a lot about you, about the things you know because you will need to to present, to introduce yourself, and the thing they know. What are their skills? What are their experience? They've, they've been exposed to different things, and they learn different things, and that's probably where you can start, that building that relationship and trying to learn how to, yeah, to build those relationships with, with other people. And what are some unique ways that you've seen that done. One of the things I wanted to insert at the beginning and forgot was I don't want our conversation to be like five tips to building remote teams. Like everyone's read those blog posts. They're like, so yeah, where I'd really love to go today is like something new that people hear and think, whoa, I'd never thought of that. Or that's totally counterintuitive. Uh, of course, if you if you read my book, and both of you, <laughs> of course, did. But uh, there's one thing I love to do is that that format of one on one, on which you have a, you have a scripted way to introduce yourself to uh, a new person, and that format of one on one when you use a command board, that's working really great in person, it's working also remotely, and you can do that with a trailer board, for example. And those cards are guiding you in a, through the conversation that could be a half an hour conversation, weird question to, to break the ice to start the conversation, 
and you discuss your professional experience, you discuss your experience on one particular topic that will connect you, and you discuss your wish, uh, wishes about what you can do with the team. And I love that. And that scripted way of learning to, to know each other is really interesting. And that's the starting point to that relation. So that's the kind of thing that you can do and that are easy to do. What are some of those questions? Do you, I don't remember them. Do you remember any off the top of your head? Uh, if, if you take the, the, the icebreaker question that you ask three questions to the other person and they can pass. Kind of question I ask is, yeah, if you can do, if you could do whatever other, uh, um, uh, if you could, whatever you want in the world, what could that be other than your, your current job? And I announced was incredible. Like I would be an explorer. I would be uh, um, a musician or I would be uh, uh, an actor or, or I would not work. I would just watch the time fly and <laughs> enjoy my life. And, and there was a lot of different things. And you learn a lot with just that answer. And usually the temptation is for people to, to mirror the question. So they are asking about you and they use one question like this. But other people are asking things that are totally weird. But sometimes they are, when person asks me, uh, uh, do you have a... Um, um, I don't know how to ask you that. Uh, uh, do you have uh, Do you have children? I said, yeah, oh, yes. But why are you uncomfortable asking that question? It's okay. You can ask that question. I can pass if I don't want to answer. Oh, um, oh, because I assumed you were gay. I say, oh, wow, <laughs> this is another one. <laughs> That's a whole other line of inquiry. Yes, and I could be too. You don't know that, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> but I will pass on that one anyway. That's an interesting. You talk a little bit about it's kind of like a hub and spoke thing there, Alexi. Like from a manager, uh, you can engage your team remotely through the one on one process. Um, it'd be interesting to talk more about like how do you start the team forming as a remote team and identifying as a remote team rather than as a remote individual connected to uh, the manager. I've probably got one example I can share on that, but I'd like to hear from you first on like how do you progress from a one-on-one situation to the team act actually acting as one team. Well, and are you saying too, because I was thinking, I was hearing you say like it's the manager of a remote team, but I guess the mindset I'm approaching a lot of this with is, well, my experience of a lot of remote teams is is the manager was not leading in that way. The team kind of figured it out themselves. Maybe that takes the conversation a different way, but... But, but did they? Mm, not very well. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, the our, our standard way of thinking is, okay, if you consider the manager will be the, the scheduler of the work and they will, will direct tasks to people, then you don't really have a team. You have a manager that is scheduling tasks to individuals. So basically, those individuals don't don't even need to talk with each other because they can just talk to the manager, and that's all. So it's not really a team. And I think where Michael is going is saying, okay, how how you foster teamwork when you have a remote team? And I think at some point you need to start with, okay, you 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 have this intent of 
starting to create something that is one plus one equals three, equals three. That's a, you have several individuals that they have different skills and they will, they will benefit from working with each other. And so you will stop being the scheduler. You define the, the, the vision, the mission and the goals of the team. You define the objectives and you need to work on that with the team with that intent of you will form a team. We will form a team. So it starts with that, that intent of a team is better than a bunch of individuals. And it depends on a strong manager. I hear the manager is kind of the linchpin there. I, I, I took that as an angle as the manager could have that intent. Now, what I've seen with other teams is where when individuals, usually the, the, the more experienced ones, were saying, well, starting things with other individuals in the team. Usually it happens when they were onboarding newcomers in the team, less experienced people, and they needed to onboard them in the team. And interestingly, those people were smart enough to say, okay, if those newcomers are faster, proficient, faster, uh, ramping up, they will already help the team, so they will help me do more work than that are interesting for me. So they were already helping the newcomers because it will help them and it will help the team. And interestingly, I looked at how they were doing that. And when they were investing quite some time, like, yeah, I discussed with, with one guy, I said, okay, I'm doing two hours every morning with that new person and we are working with each other. So that's two hours, video conference, screen sharing, and they are working with each other on issues that that person needs to work on. So it's, a, it's quite an investment. They were doing pair programming, and he was guiding them through the process of how to contribute to that particular project, how to understand what needs to be done. And that was really interesting. That's much more efficient than sending a link to something and saying, oh, yeah, look at that, <laughs> and figure out by yourself. And good luck. Ah, we will talk next week. That was that was not the same kind of investment. But that was working together, real time. And so, at first, of course, the new person is not so comfortable. But after some time, a few minutes, they start to ask questions and say, "Oh, why are you doing that? Or how do you do that? Or why are we doing that this way?" And, and suddenly they learn a lot and they learn from each other. It's already a social learning experiment. Because of course, the more experienced people catch on the questions saying, oh, this is an interesting question. I never think about that this way. And for those that don't know, Alexi mentioned pair programming. Pair programming is, well, it's done in different ways, but I guess at its most extreme way, it's two people writing code at the same time which takes a little bit to get your head around. I don't know that I've ever seen it in practice, but I've heard that it can be amazingly powerful. So just wanted to sneak that in there. Now, how about you, Michael? Because you were, you were back in the day, you were in Australia, you were connected to a larger company. Like what, what are you, what's coming up for you here in terms of what worked in terms of not being able to travel? I think Alexi said something that's a key point and it was uh, about working together. Uh, so I, I've had that experience of, uh, you know, meeting people, uh, working in a remote team, 
uh, having uh, one-on-ones with uh, all the individuals uh, in my team um, at my peer level uh, to to build trust. Um, but really, I think it, it develops best through working together. And I do remember one manager who I thought uh, was brilliant at managing remote teams. And uh, one team he was in charge of, he actually got, uh, he, he would pick two people from different regions and get them to work together on uh, some project, um, some short project, uh, and then come back and present that work to the rest of the team. Uh, and he he kind of... I can see where this went. This went from a process of where Alexi started of a one-on-one situation through to pairing people up, working on something that was, uh, you know, not strategically important to the team, but uh, just more an opportunity for two people to collaborate. Uh, And then he kind of built it up from there until the team was very comfortable functioning, talking to each other and working together, almost like he was building the scaffolding for something. And then once the structure had been built, he was able to take the scaffolding down and almost start to remove himself from being the linchpin to this team working together. Have you seen any examples where it was built from the ground up? Like, because the idea of Alexi's book was, you know, changing teams from the inside, which is kind of the idea that it starts with you, (laughs) not the, and I'm using air quotes, not that other person or that manager that needs to do their job. Or in other words, it's starting with you. So I'm curious, like, have you guys seen kind of uh, grassroots approaches to building teams like this remotely? Yeah, the, the example I, uh, I used uh, just before of that more experienced person that is uh, taking on him to onboard the newcomers and to already help them, that was really gra- a grassroots thing. There was no manager saying, oh, you need to do that. There was the, the manager was really remote or really absent manager on that thing. That's where I'm saying, oh, we have that new person coming. And yeah, please help that person. Be available for that person. Yeah, which means nothing. Yeah, you can be valuable. <laughs> that's not that's not too expensive. So they were already changing that in in that way. And uh, uh, what I what I like when, with the example Michael Michael gave us is you have two person working with each other and they will present their work to the team. So there's a there's a kind of review and you're kind of building that feedback loop with the rest of the team. So if you are Smart enough, you invite the other p- team member to give feedback or to comment. And if you are doing that uh, regularly enough, you will start to build that feedback loop and invite other team members to comment on to review what the others are doing. And if you give that and build that, yeah, you start to really build something interesting. When you start to build trust too which in this email that I got from this listener, that was kind of one of their realizations. That was a very foundational thing was we need trust. How are we going to build trust? The assumption is, well, you meet people in person and you can build trust much easier that way. But again, the context we're talking about is you're building it remotely. And so what I'm hearing is that's a very natural way to build trust versus some contrived uh, <laughs> virtual trust fall. <laughs> yeah, and, and usually when we say uh, flying together to and put all the people in the room, that's you need to have a, a, a purpose. So 
the assumption is they will work together when they will be in that room. And that's where they will start to build those relationships and to build those connections, to build trust. Of course, they will have lunch together, they will have a drink, and maybe you will have other kind of relationship that will, the, the, that bonding that will, that will be there. But if you are remote, yeah, working together is already something. And working together with the whole team from the start is a little bit difficult, starting to pairing people so they can work together, starting to make the connection with the rest of the team during a review is the second step. And if you are smart enough, and it will take time, you are creating the, those connections because people experienced the other, the other skills and the other perspective, and that helped them uh, build something more, more interesting. And I think in that, Alexi, there's intention. So you have to be very uh, intentional about building a remote team and be thinking of the remote experience, uh, particularly too in situations where you have like uh, part of the team that's co-located and then other remote members to that team. Um, you know, if, you, if you start to think of the remote worker experience first and put that ahead of the co-located team experience uh, I think you can you can start to you know stumble upon some pretty interesting and creative ways to to bring the team together, and through that experience, the remote work is going to feel valued, and that's going to help build trust. What does that look like? Because that seems uncommon, or that hits me as uncommon. Usually, it's oh yeah, we need to remember to include Fred or Susie; they're remote. How have you seen it flipped around in practical ways? Good. Uh, audio and video uh, connectivity is very important, but a good uh, meeting facilitator as well. Somebody who can ensure that each member of the team is having an opportunity to uh, to speak or, or, or present their ideas. Um, I have seen some teams uh, that were co-located uh, be on a video call at their own desk. So instead of the co-located portion uh, meeting in a meeting room, they would each uh, be at their own desk uh, on the video call as if they were remote workers. And I think that can also, you know, uh, bring some balance to, to, to the meeting. And it levels the playing field too. Everyone's connecting in the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it really depends off of the teams. And uh, I already that the role of the facilitator is important. But sometimes that's true that when you have those people in that meeting room, uh, they can see all the body language instantly. Uh, they will, they will find instantly when they can talk, because they know that okay, they have the space. They can, they can interject now. And when they are remote, even with the good video from the meeting room, they will always be late, and they will never be able to. And even even with a good facilitator, sometimes it's better to go okay, level the playing field. Every, everybody is going remote, and it will be much easier. And it's really changed the dynamic in the in the in the conversation. I think too, having been a remote worker, like the onus is on yourself as well, right? To to make every effort to make yourself feel as if you're present. Um, a lot of the work I did was with uh, you know uh, people, colleagues uh, in the United States, uh, and I would make sure that I I met with them regularly. Um, on video, and that I was available via email and instant messaging. And I often got the comment that it felt like I was right there. I wasn't around the other side of the world. Um, but it took a, you know, a lot of effort on my part to make sure that I was there. 
this also raises another question the same person sent me, which was, uh, if you're on a remote team, how do you know when to start and stop the working day? How do you know when other people are, quote, available to answer questions? Um, and this, I guess it's just kind of this idea that, like, work never stops. Like, how do you have boundaries around your time and be, quote, available without being available all the time, which is not sustainable? This is something true for for localized team, and it's much more important for remote teams, for distributed teams. That's working on your team agreements. What you do, all the questions you ask are the questions that you need to discuss as a team, and write that down in your team agreements. How do we communicate? So how do we communicate? How do we use the phone, the text message, the the instant messaging, the the email, and why do we use those tools? And at what time it's uh, work for us? At what time we don't interrupt each other because we protect that time to be able to uh, concentrate and focus on our work? Uh, all those things need to be discussed. Do we turn on the camera? I, I worked with a team and there was a guy and the other were calling the voice because they never seen him his face. And they were <laughs> calling him the voice. The and voice. At, <laughs> at first, I connect with that team, and they, they said, "Oh, what the voice has to say about this?" Is it what? <laughs> and that was crazy. And there was a really good reason for that person and for the team to work like this. But I was really frustrated. I wanted to know who this guy was, and yeah, but that's so. This idea of writing everything, I can hear. I don't know. I can hear a couple of skeptical listeners already saying, I mean, come on, really? Like, you have to write down that we will send each other emails and we will turn our cameras on? I mean... It's a what? It's a one-pager. It's a social contract. That's... I don't want... I, I'm not asking you to sign it. Oh, maybe I should. <laughs> but, Electronic signatures. <laughs> maybe I should. Uh, but that's, that's all. We define our standard and maybe... In two weeks, when we will have a retrospective, we will change that standard. But we are all in agreement. There's no assumption that, oh, yeah, John didn't send me a text message, and it was important. And he sent me an email, and then he complained because I don't answer. But, yeah, I don't answer to email. I only check my email once a day. So what could he expect? If it's urgent, he should text me. But if we'd never discuss that, why well, you would text me? Maybe you think that email is... The, the, the way to send urgent messages? I don't know. Mm. So it's removing all the assumptions. Absolutely. And making it explicit. Do either of you have any success stories or, uh, I don't know, rising from the ashes or nobody thought that this remote situation get, get, could get turned around and it was? Uh, that it's, you're, you're asking us for uh, for something really difficult because you, you can guess that with Michael we only have successes, so it's, it's difficult <laughs> for us to imagine that we work. Make with something team. up. Make something. <laughs> we work with team. When when we look at that, we say, okay, yeah, it will never work. <laughs> we were really depressed. Yeah, it, it happens when sometimes you think, okay. Um, it, it will not work. And in fact, when you start to change a little bit your behavior from it will never work or it will not work to, okay, what can I try? 
to improve that situation. And it doesn't mean you will change the whole team or you will connect with all the people, but you can start doing something. That's beautiful. That's like, it's, oh, I'm sorry, keep going. But it's, I'm hearing mindset. Like, yes, if you start off saying there's no way that this can be fixed, that will come true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so keep going. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, that's, this is exactly that. So when you start thinking that you can do something about it, suddenly you expand your your ability to influence others. But you first need to recognize that it will change with you. So you stop saying it will never work and you start saying, okay, I can make, I can do something to improve that situation. Maybe it will not be perfect, but I can do something. And it starts with building those connections we discussed before. So you change your mindset and you start building those connections and you start working with other people. And you start writing down something. Maybe people are septic, skeptical about the, the team agreements. Write your own how to. How to communicate with me. Or I do, how do I work? Huh. And you start and you share that document. That's how I work. And other people will say, oh, yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, don't work like this. And you start a conversation. You just make it sound so simple, Alexi. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but in the but in the real world, but in the real world. Yeah, right? I, I I love your I love your point. Yeah, maybe it sounds so simple, and that if I try something, it will obviously work. And no, it will not. I will need to do several experiments to find something that will work. So, of course, I will fail. And I, when I'm saying that, okay, it sounds simple, it sounds obvious, and it's easy, but maybe I will do my how-to and nobody will catch, catch on that. Nobody will comment, and it will not start a conversation. And maybe I will need to try something different, and it's okay, because I will learn something in the process. So, yeah, it, it means yeah, you, need, you need to persist. Yeah, which comes from a very simple question of like, how could I make this work? Or how can I, how, how, yeah, how can I make this remote situation work? Even if I don't even know what the answer is, it's at least giving your brain a better job to do, to look for an answer to that, than to remind yourself of all the reasons why it can't work, <laughs> which is what happens when you say, yeah, this could never work. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing to think of is if, it has been successful for other people or in other situations, then it can be successful for you as well. This is absolutely true. And there's a lot of teams that are really successful and that are, that are only remote. So we know that it can work. What we don't really know is how they already work. And that's where it becomes interesting. Because when you look at how they work, they all do things a little bit differently, like collocated teams. Not all the teams are working exactly the same way. But we can find those things that are really important. And of course, trust is really important. But how you build trust is those things. What kind of practices those people need to have? And I think we covered a, a, a lot of those at some point. There's one thing that is really important is celebrate those small success, those small successes that you have. And really enjoy those moments when you are when you are in an office uh, you have more opportunity to celebrate 
because you will you will see people directly you will you will smile you will uh, go have lunch and you will take a little bit more time or things like that so you will have opportunities to celebrate when you are remote usually you have meetings that are scheduled and you don't schedule a celebration meeting or maybe you should or maybe you should take some time to put the celebration in the meeting because you will not have the opportunity to do it naturally, organically. So it's all those small moments that you have in an office. You need to try to reproduce that in a, in a remote context. What are some other ones? So, well, I guess I had two questions there. One, how have you seen remote celebrations take place? Like maybe some additional ideas there. And then besides celebrations, what are, what are some of these other little things that maybe people often overlook? The celebration thing that we, we had one thing with the team is uh, the, the review of the work. That, uh, you have a, a review every, every week or every two weeks of the work that has been done. On, you, have, you have a presentation on that. And they were already investing time to say, oh, yeah, that, this is really good. And I really like that because of that. And they, they were really giving specific feedback to people about the work that has been done. That was really interesting. Interestingly, that same team was doing exactly that on how the people behave. So when they were having a retrospective on how the team was working, they were also celebrating and appreciating the behavior of other people. I really loved when you said that. Oh, I really appreciated that you helped me on that issue. Or you connect with me, you, you connected with me because I was stuck and I was I was not saying it, but I was stuck. And I I was saying nothing because I was stuck and I had that problem in my mind and I was not even able to say it. And you reached out to me and you helped me and that was really good. So those kind of things that, that we are really building the, 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 the team. So celebrating maybe is not the, the right word, but it's really appreciating the behavior of others on, on the work of others was really an important part. And I think here we're dancing around the word, the word culture. I was thinking humanity. Well, I was thinking culture because in my mind it was like, what's culture? Culture is doing something two times in a row and using that as an excuse to do it a third time. And in a way it forms a tradition and that tradition becomes part of the team's identity and therefore it becomes culture. So this idea of celebrating, celebrating behaviours, you do it once, great. You do it twice, then you use that as an excuse to do it a third time. Now it's just how we work here. Yeah, I guess what I was hearing, I guess the humanity part I was bringing was I'd never thought of like talking about people's behavior as part of a retrospective. Usually the retrospective is more of a blame fest of like what, you know, how some team failed or or whatever. So using a retrospective as a way of like praising certain people's behaviors or celebrating certain things, that, that was kind of a new idea to me. Yeah, that's the part I really love. That's uh, when you when you really appreciate the the behavior. Uh, then, as Michael said, you are encouraged to do it another time. Uh, when you start a blame game, it's not really working because everybody is defensive. In a, in a meeting room, it's already not working. Just imagine when we are ten thousand kilometers away. I can just ignore you. Um, you would never touch me again. <laughs> right, right. So. Well, and it breaks trust too. Like blame destroys trust too. So what haven't we covered yet that we should 
or what's on your, did anyone have any notes or thoughts they wanted to add in here that maybe there's no natural segue, but I'll just create it for you right now. There's one, one about appreciation or, or the thing that you do in an office that's already cool and you are not doing that remotely is the, the water cooler, the, the, the coffee machine. All those discussions that we have that are usually friendly and fun or about what we did last weekend or the, that concert or uh, we go outdoor, we go hiking or we have a new car and whatever, whatever you, you are in, you're interested in life. And usually with remote teams, we don't have that. Or sometimes you have that in the, the one or two minutes when you wait for other people to join the call. But what if we had a, a water cooler discussion schedule every day or 15 minutes or every week for some time? And that's, there's no purpose for the call. That's just the water cooler. Let's meet and have our coffee. Yep, that's not the same coffee from not the same coffee machine, or you're having tea, or 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 maybe you have a beer because it's not the same time of the day. But it's we have that informal conversation about nothing, and it's about nothing, and it's really everything because yeah, you can share information. And not something you will say, okay, let's schedule a discussion. Let's schedule a call. Let's say, oh, have you seen that? And that cool thing will be already important in my day. And But we will not schedule a call to discuss that. So I feel like instant messaging is good for that. Like you're, you're, you've got the chat window open. You're doing some work. You can have a joke, uh, have a chat. But... How do you, how do you do this in like a, a more like a video, like a using video or something like this? Because it feels like water cooler discussions or coffee or going out for lunch or a meal happen because it's just part of the day. Like if I'm co-located with a team, I don't say, "Hey, let's have a water cooler discussion." I go to the water cooler <laughs> because I'm thirsty, and a discussion follows. So, so serendipity. So you, yeah. So how do you how do you design this in a remote team without like forcing a okay, we're going to meet for 15 minutes to talk about nothing or whatever you want. Uh, grab a drink of water. How do you do that, Alexi? There, there's real teams that are really scheduling some time to, uh, to do exactly that. And it's really powerful. I have one team of product managers, they have a PM co- coffee every week. There's no agenda. And the one who show up are, are the good person. And that's okay. And they are having a coffee or something else, because that's not the same time of the day for them. But, and it's really helpful for them. It's better than, I don't know, I, I, want, I don't want to, to put a value on it compared to a, another weekly meeting or, or another thing, that, but it serves the purpose of helping them connect and share different things that they will not share in a regular meeting. But yeah, they are doing it. And I've seen other teams that we are already scheduling sometime every day to do exactly that. And how does that impact the other meetings then? Or in, in what ways does it impact the other meetings? I've got some suspicions, but I don't have any evidence. I don't know. I didn't think of it this way. Um, I think it impacts the, the relationship between people. So... I guess they can be more open in their in their other meetings. 
they, they, they built another level of relationship. They are not strangers anymore. So in teams where they're having a, a coffee meeting, do they, do they understand the difference between that meeting and their team meeting or do the behaviours in the team meeting start to slip and become a bit more casual or are the team meetings more focused because the chit-chat is saved for the coffee meeting? How does it all work? It's a good point. Now you're speaking about it in that particular team that has the, the coffee meeting uh, I was referring to. They are, they are, they are weekly meeting is really structured. They have, a, they have a Trello board. They use a Trello board. And their weekly meeting is really structured around the Trello board. So they are going from the, the done column, if you want, to the to the to-do one. So they are they are moving in that direction to review the work they did and then to discuss the work that is in progress and see where there are blockers and so on, and then to to go back to the the work the work that they will do and to finish with the, the backlog and to groom the backlog and to discuss uh, to refine what the element in the backlog. So so it's really structured. There's no chit chat. It's really focused on efficiency. They want to cover the maximum of items during that meeting, and it's really important for them. For them, and it's time boxed. They know that the end of the meeting, the end of the time box, is the end of the meeting, because they know they could discuss all those topics in the backlog for years, and they don't have the time. So the the limit is the the time box. And in the chit chat meeting, in the coffee meeting, they are already relaxed. So yes, I think it affects their behavior. They can really be focused on on what they want to achieve as a team. And in the other side, they can be really relaxed and discuss about nothing, and it's okay. They can invest that time. I'm going to set a trap for you, Alexi. Do they have a team agreement about this? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. So I think I will need to say no, but I'm not, not sure. Maybe they have one, um, but I, I don't know. I, I well, they don't see... need it. It doesn't sound like they need one. Yeah, maybe they have one, but I don't know. I think they do need it. I think even if it's working well, I, I, I bet there's still some hidden assumptions in there somewhere, and by creating a team agreement, it could help them. It could certainly help anyone who joins the team. Yeah, yeah. You 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 picked my curiosity. I will check. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't talk about AI. AI. Yeah. How does AI tie into this? Well, I I hear it's coming to take over jobs. Like, and and people are supposed to be be able to work with teams and artificial intelligence seamlessly. How would that affect the remote experience? Yeah, you, you know that uh, I joined a meeting for, from a group of people in the, in the, in the city office. And uh, I joined the meeting, and in the, the participant of the meeting, there was a name that I've never never seen before. And I asked them, okay, what is that name? And they said, oh, it's a bot is taking notes of the meeting. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was a video conference, and that bot was doing the transcript of the meeting. I said, wow. really? You have that? This is really working, and yeah, it's somewhat working. Maybe with my accent, is it's more difficult for the bot, but uh, that was somewhat working. That was quite interesting. And okay, you have a transcript that is timed with the the recording of the meeting. Have you seen 
technology being used to help build remote teams. And by that I mean like we now have things like when you subscribe to a mailing list, uh, it can automatically send you out a series of emails over a period of time to onboard you to that mailing list. Um, there's chatbots in instant messaging, as you mentioned. Um, you know, have you seen anyone use this technology in support of building the remote team? I don't think so. I've seen I've seen a lot of different bots um, on on instant messaging uh, meeting rooms that we are helping the team, keeping them focused, or reminding them of the the work that was going on, or um, urgent urgent notifications, or reminding them of yeah, this is this item is in progress and uh, did not really progress, so what is going on. So there was different bots used by teams. It's uh, But it's really simple technology. So I, I cannot say it's really uh, advanced artificial, artificial intelligence. Um, I've seen another thing, but it's, it's, it's not really for distributed team or collocated team. It could work for, for every team that, that was really focused on the, the build system or on the continuous integration to try to understand and analyze bugs and to to help people troubleshoot issues um, faster. So, but it's it's not necessarily to already build the remote team. That's really to help the team do their work so that they are trying to consider the bots as additional team members that are really focused on one particular function. So it's not really to, to help build build the team. So... No, I, I don't have examples on that. Are there any other things you guys can think of before we wrap up here that would help remote teams to work more effectively together that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, that, I think there's one thing that is really important. Uh, a team needs a, a raison d'être, need a, a vision, a mission. They need goals. They need something to accomplish. And it's true for for collocated teams, it's true for remote teams, and I think it's even more important. They they need to work on that, and they need to write write that together. And it's a good opportunity to work together. By the way, you you have a shared document, and you work on your vision, your mission, and your goals, and what are the results you want to you want to achieve? Not even trying to push the OKRs there. Yes, a little bit maybe, uh, but it's I think it's really important. And it, I think it connects with uh, how you manage your day-to-day work, how you know what the team is doing, and how you know what all the individuals in the team are contributing to, how you make the work visible and obvious for the team. So you need some kind of tooling to help you do that. So the work is obvious for everybody. We know what is going on, and we we can confidently work on our, on, our, on our next work item, uh, knowing that it's the right one and everybody knows what is going on. So making the work visible needs to be something that we are, we are working on and we, we agreed on. And what are some common tools that you see? Um, Trello comes to mind, but are there others besides Trello? Yeah, yeah. Trello is, a, is, a, is an interesting one because it's flexible enough so you can really change the workflow and adapt the workflow to your team. So it's, it's flexible and simple enough to, to work really well. Uh, of course, 
I will not advocate for any tools, but when you are a remote team, you need to you need to choose something. And when you are a farming team, you need something flexible enough so you can adjust your workflow because you will learn on the way that you need to adjust things, you need to, to change a little bit the way you work. So you want something really flexible and that will not cost you a lot of time to set up. You want mm -hmm. that setup to be as short as possible. So when I say we, we make the work visible and the work is obvious for every team member, what I'm trying to say and to convey is as the work is obvious, there's a, there's a sort of uh, social contract between us as team members that we are working on what is on the board. We are not working on something else and we are doing the work that we define that we will do. And so there's no need for control or external control because we are doing that. And it's the work is obvious for everybody and what is going on is obvious for everybody. And I think it's really important for the team. If we lose that uh, that visibility, uh, there's a risk that we will we will have some people that will try to control what we are doing, and and it's really painful when you have people that are trying to control what you are doing at that particular moment. Because at that particular moment, you could want to go walk your dog, and you don't want people to ask you, "Ah, but what were you doing between nine thirty and 10? It's <laughs> not your business, man. <laughs> not asking what you are doing, and so that, that's where it's really important that you you build that trust. And when you are remote, yeah, I can walk my dog at from nine thirty to ten, and that's not a problem. Right. Yeah. And it, well, I guess what also comes to mind there too is if you've agreed on how you're going to work together and when you'll be available and when you won't and whatever, then that's just not an issue. Yeah, absolutely. Well, shall we leave things there? Final call for last thoughts, ideas. John, can you sum up quite kind of collectively what you've learned here from this conversation? And have we kind of answered the questions that, uh, that person posted? I think we've pretty well covered it. I would say the new thing, the new thing that I hadn't thought of was the idea of documenting like how a team would work together. Um, yeah, I never, I, in all of my years of working remotely, I don't think I was ever on a team where we did that. And I think that could have helped not all teams. I think, I think some teams and some company cultures lend themselves better to working remote. And I think it depends on the people as well. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time like thinking of all of them all at the same time, but yes, I'm sure that in somewhere in there, some documented, like, here's how we will work together would have smoothed some things out. So in terms of summarizing the whole discussion, uh, that will be in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I would say that was my big takeaway. How about you and Alexi? Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, the documenting how the team works, I think, I think that's just a, a great idea for like uh, a starting point. Um, that I, I could see how that could work quite casually. Let's Let's have a meeting. Let's start putting together on paper some ideas that we have about how we work and 
see what's working and what's not working and it's an opportunity to uh, just change and adapt if, if we want. It could be done in a real positive way. Um, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, no, and I think my, my takeaway on our conversation was when we bring that idea of humanity and culture, and I think we connected all to what we've said before about, yeah, that starts with you. you. You can really affect how the others will behave by changing your behavior and changing your mindset. So you're going to show up and to build those relationships and to, to, to start some changes. And it will become how we work here. And I think that's, that idea, I think, is really strong. All right. Well, thanks for the conversation today. The name of the book is Changing Your Team from the Inside by Alexi Monoville. I'll link to that. I'll also link to Alexi's website and Michael's website or Twitter or wherever to find Michael as well. And thanks, guys. Thank you, John. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Alexi. Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. Send your questions, ideas, or a simple hello to podcast at johnpolster.com. Want to stay up to date on new episodes and receive notifications of upcoming events? Register your email address at johnpolster.com slash updates. <laughs>